We're about to read one of the more familiar passages in the Bible, and one risk with a familiar passage is that we hear the words, but we miss the content. We can fail to see God's power and majesty. So listen carefully now to God's holy and inerrant word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we prepare to sit beneath your word, we pray that you would make us mindful um, that even with those very first words of Genesis, that you are the God who speaks, and by the power of your word, you call everything that is into being. And remind us this morning as we sit beneath your word that It was your Son who came into this world, into his own creation, and it was by the power of his voice that he spoke to the blind, and they received their sight, the deaf, and they were made to hear, the lame, and they were made to walk. It was by the power of his voice that he himself spoke into the tombs, and the dead were raised to life. And Father, we pray that underneath your word we would hear you speak with such power this morning that you would wake us from the dead, that you would open our eyes and unstop our ears. Help us this morning by your Spirit to be not only hearers of your Word, but doers as well. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, our children, ages three to first grade, are dismissed to Children's Church. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to your class. Well, this morning we're starting a new series um, through the book of Genesis, and um, many of you know Genesis is uh, the Bible's story of origins, uh, the story of beginnings, and it may, that makes this an incredibly important book for us to give our attention to. Uh, you know, first of all, you could say, well, it's, it's stories, and we, we're people who love stories. Um, But to pay attention to those stories is really to discover who we are and what we were made to be and where this whole thing called life is going. Um, But it's also to discover who God is and what He's like and what He's been doing and what He's done in the world. Um, You know, all these things that we're talking about right now, these are questions of ultimate reality. They're questions of identity, right? They're questions of purpose and meaning. This is incredibly important to us. And one of the reasons I love the book of Genesis is that it gives us all of this, but it comes to us in the form of stories. Um, I'm going to give you some very nerdy insight here um, into a story that's really been resonating and captivating audiences for the past 40 years, um, and I'm talking, of course, about Star Wars um, and, uh, and created by George Lucas. What, 
What made Star Wars such a great story? Because I think we can all admit it's a great story, right? Um, it, you know, it, of course, it was a new and fantastical world that, you know, had never been imagined before, lightsabers and Ewoks and Death Stars, and, and that's awesome and everything, but that's not really what made the story of Star Wars so great. Um, and the reason why it still captivates um, the attention of those who watch those movies, Lucas said in an interview a while ago, he said, when I did Star Wars, I consciously set about to recreate myths and classical mythological motifs. See, what made Star Wars a truly great story actually began as a friendship between George Lucas and another man named Joseph Campbell, because Joseph Campbell was an American mythologist. Um, and so his life's work was studying stories and myths from all over the world and all throughout history. And through his work, Campbell distilled a basic blueprint of a structure that he saw in the greatest stories and myths ever told. Um, and it was in everything from Homer's Odyssey, right, to uh, the Wizard of Oz, to Moby Dick, to the Lord of the Rings. And he called this blueprint, has a name if you want to look it up and, and learn about it, he called this blueprint the hero's journey. Um, and the blueprint was, I don't know if you get into all the details, but it was three basic acts. But e even in these acts, they had several substages, 17 substages in all. And he was saying, this is present in all of the greatest stories ever told. And Lucas admits freely that he, all he did in creating Star Wars was to follow his friend Joseph Campbell's blueprint exactly and completely, all three acts, all 17 substages, and there you have it. And it's a story that continues to resonate and captivate audience, audiences. A author G.K. Chesterton once wrote that fairy tales are more than true. And he wrote that fairyland is nothing more than the sunny countryside of common sense. See, there are these underlying realities. This is what Chesterton was saying. There are these underlying realities in fairy tales. And what Campbell and Lucas were saying were there's these underlying realities in these great stories and myths of all time, right? In all these great stories that resonate deeply with humanity and with the human experience and captivate the deepest longings of our hearts. So what does all this have to do with Genesis, you know, the Bible story of beginnings? Here's what I want you to see. That I want you to see that the story of the Bible, right, and its hero, it's not just one more story added to all the stories in the world, right, um, that speak to the underlying realities that resonate with us. What I want us to see in this series through Genesis is that this story that we're looking at this morning it is, in fact, the underlying reality to which every great story that's ever been told is really pointing to, right? That's, that's what I want us to see. In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, 
Those verses and those words, they invite us into this story, into the story of stories and the true hero's journey that we're going to see in this series. And, and what I want us to do this morning is I want us to focus our attention on three things in these three verses. I want us to see that creation story gives life meaning and purpose. And then second, I want us to see that creation's story is about bringing order to chaos. And then third and finally, I want us to see that creation's story, even in these opening three verses, they shout of love to us. First, creation's story gives life meaning and purpose. You know, the 20th century, um, it added a new word to our vocabulary. And that word that I'm thinking about, I'm sure there are a number of words, but that word is prequel, right? We invented a new word to describe the movies and the books that go back in time to tell us origins, stories of origin and beginnings, right? Prequels, the stories that go back to tell us the origin of Spider-Man or Superman or whoever. It seems to happen a lot with the comic book figures. But anyway, I I don't think I've seen anything written about this, but I think it's fascinating that the more our culture has acquiesced, right, to a belief that humanity is a cosmic accident, that the more we've acquiesced to that belief, the more we feel the need for our stories to be complete to go back in time and hear stories of our origins and our beginnings. And I think it's this. Instinctively, we know that it's really in the stories of origins and beginnings that really give the characters of our stories and even our lives their meaning and their purpose. The author of Genesis was Moses. And I want you just for a brief moment to consider the context of his telling this story and writing it down. Moses was, you remember, the man that God raised up to deliver His people from their slavery in Egypt. And we'll say more about this next week, but Genesis wasn't written to satisfy our modern scientific inquiries, right? That's a question driven by our cultural moment in time. We'll talk about that more next week. But Genesis, it was written to former slaves, who were now wandering in the wilderness, and they had been stripped of their dignity and of their freedom, and they needed to know the truth of their stories of beginning and origin. That's where meaning and purpose for their lives would really be found and rediscovered. So Moses' first words that he declares are these, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The subject of the very first sentence of the Bible and of Genesis is God Himself. Now listen, this this means this. It means that this story is not first and foremost about you. This story that's being told in the Bible, it is first and foremost about God and who He is and what He has done. You see, realizing that is really the key to understanding how creation's story gives life meaning and purpose. Moses wrote that God created everything there is. And that Hebrew word that's used there for created, it's a very unique word because in Hebrew there are a number of words that can be translated created. But this word here, it is only ever used of God. 
Only when he is the subject. And Moses was saying, God created everything that is out of nothing. And think about this. Moses was saying, God is the origin. He is the beginning of everything. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, is how John wrote it in the opening verses of his gospel. See, we live in a world and in a culture that tells us that humanity is a cosmic accident. Therefore, it's up to you individually to determine your life's meaning and purpose. And freedom is being able to live any way you want in the world. Freedom is being able to define for yourself what is right and what is wrong. But you take a look around with me. Do we look free? I mean, we are enslaved to our passions and to our appetites. We are enslaved to substances. We are enslaved to our careers. We're enslaved to the opinions of others. We're enslaved to our regrets about the past. We're enslaved to our anxiety about the future. The creation story, even this first verse, right, it presents a very different kind of freedom, one that is uniquely connected to life's meaning and life's purpose. My first dog, to transition, um, was, a, uh, was a chocolate lab. Got her as a little puppy. And um, eventually the day came for me, I, I don't remember how, how old, how many weeks old she was, that I was going to take her to this pond and let her swim for the very first time. And um, I took her to this little pond and I tried like crazy everything I could do to coax her into the water, right? I was throwing things in the water that are, are gone forever now, lost, um, right? And she just wouldn't get in. She wouldn't have anything of it. And so eventually I gave up and waited another week, and I took her back to the same pond. And this time she got her little paws wet. And, um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be it, but she still wouldn't get in, just got her paws wet. So I gave up, came back a, a week later, and the next time I was like, I'm getting her in the water, and in fact, I myself got into the water, right? I got wet, I'm trying to call her to me, and she got maybe up to her, her little elbows wet. She was kind of wading in the water, but she wouldn't get all the way in, and I was getting really frustrated because I'd spent a lot of money on this dog, and I, I was like, I, I've been sold a defective Labrador Retriever, right? Um, and, uh, you know, these dogs, they're bred for water. They have webbed feet, for crying out loud. And, um, and so, anyway, I was very frustrated. Well, I decided to try one more time. And this last time that we went, right, she got all the way in, and she swam for the first time. And then I had this totally other problem, which was I couldn't get her out of the water, Right? <laughs> Once she started swimming, she did not want to stop. And it was really this thing of beauty. And I, some of you have heard me tell this story before, and I think it's why it stuck with me. Because it was this thing of beauty to just see it click for her in that moment. For her to discover what she was made to do. Right? She, I know she's a dog, right? But it sure it looked like joy. It really did. I mean, she was delighting in what she was made to be and do. I mean, from that point on, if we were in the car and we drove anywhere close to that pond, I mean, she would pace back and forth in the back seat. She would whimper and she would cry. She wanted to be in the water to be free. 
Because she knew she was, all, she was the most free when she was doing what she was made to do. Right? The origin, the beginning of everything is God himself. In Acts chapter 17, Paul was speaking to the philosophers of Athens, and he was telling them about the true God. And he said this, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Right? He made us, and therefore we find true freedom in life only when we discover the meaning and the purpose that He has given for our lives. We are, we are and we will only be as free to the degree that we discover what He made us to be. That is the place the Bible is presenting to us. That is the place of true joy and true delight. So just briefly, let me mention two things. This means two things. One, you and I, we really do need to study our Bibles. We need to study God's Word to see what God tells us it means to be most fully human. And we need to submit to it. You are made to submit to it. Made to submit to the design your designer has given you for your life. That's where we all have to start, right, to discover our meaning and purpose. But two, number two, you also need to discover your individual and particular particular purpose in life. God has gifted all of you individually and uniquely, right? What opportunities has He given you to live out those gifts in your life. You need to discover those things. You know, it could be being an artist or a banker or a mother or a leader in business. I don't know what it is, but you will only find true and real freedom when you submit to your Maker's design for your life and you live according to that purpose. Okay, well, let's leave this first point for now. And second, let's talk about how creation's story brings order to chaos. Um, Over the past couple of weeks in getting ready for this series to begin, I read far more than I wanted to of ancient Near Eastern mythologies and stories about creation. And, but what you discover when you read these ancient Near Eastern mythologies is you, you discover that um, their gods never create out of nothing like the God of the Bible. But you also realize that those stories describe creation as a byproduct, right? A consequence of the gods warring at war and waging war with one another. And so creation was chaos in the ancient Near Eastern mythologies. Those are the stories the Israelites would have learned in Egypt, right? But now Moses said, look how different and how unique the true God is. Effortlessly and purposefully, he brought order to chaos, Powerfully, he spoke, and he shaped a formless world, and he filled it with life. Verse 2, the world was without form and void. The, the wor- those words mean it was shapeless, right? It was chaos. It was empty and full of disorder, right? The Hebrew words that are used there, they're only used in two other, ti- two other times in the Bible, and both times they're used by the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And both times they're used to talk about what the world would look like 
when God came in His judgment, that it would be empty and formless, that it would be uninhabitable desolation into the formless void and the chaos and the darkness God spoke. His voice, Moses is telling us, His Word penetrated and shattered the darkness. Immediately, you know, we notice something unique about God's Word. I can walk into a dark room, and I can shout as loud and as long as I want, let there be light, but there will be no light until I walk over and flip the light switch, right? I'll remain in darkness until I do that. But God's Word is different. God's Word has agency. God's Word has power in and of itself. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Under His voice, under His Word, darkness and chaos were dispelled. When He speaks, He brings order to chaos. He brings light to darkness. Now, let me, let's ask this question. What was this light shining in the darkness? Because if you assume that it's the sun, you've skipped far too far in our story here, too far ahead. We didn't read it, but it's not until the fourth day of creation in verse 14 that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. So, what was this light. Many of the old rabbinical writings say it was the effulgent splendor of the divine presence. I don't get to use the words effulgent splendor very much, so I had to use it there. But you get what they're saying, right? Right? That light penetrating and shining in the darkness, it was the divine presence. The light and the darkness was God Himself shining and revealing and bringing order to chaos. Now, hopefully you've noticed that I'm really working hard to ground your understanding of these verses in their original context, uh, in the original context of Moses' writing. And he was writing, of course, as we said, to the Israelites who had recently been delivered from their bondage in Egypt. Now, how was it that God loosened Pharaoh's grip? Right? How was it that this people were brought out of the land of Egypt? Many of you remember those stories. If not, you can find them in the opening chapters of Exodus. But some of you probably remember how God struck Egypt with these plagues, right? The Nile River that was meant to give life, it was turned to blood, and the stench of death was in the land. And the frogs that were in the Nile, they crawled up on the banks, and they got in everybody's homes and in their beds and everything. And eventually the flies and the maggots, they swarmed, and the gnats, and disease struck the livestock, right? And boy, we read of boils and hail and locusts that just pummeled the land and the people. And then what? What happened just before the firstborn sons of Egypt died and the people of Israel walked out of Egypt? Darkness, right? Thick darkness. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. It was a darkness to be felt, right? Darkness swallowed up the land and the people. What was going on? What was, what was that all about? It was judgment against 
the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. You know, we could say that, and that's true. But what was the judgment? (laughs) Don't you see? It was creation working backwards. It was creation in reverse. It was the unraveling and undoing of the order and the light that God had brought to the world. It was a return to the formless void. We'll have more to say about order and chaos next week as we go through the creation days, but I want you to think with me just for a brief moment here. What happens when you and I step out of our design, when we sin and we violate and we live out of line with our meaning and purpose? We are unleashing the powers of chaos and darkness disorienting darkness into our lives in the world. When you decide to live for yourself instead of your spouse or instead of your children or your family, what happens? Breakdown and unraveling, right? It's a move to disorder, and it's a move to darkness and chaos. When you decide to put your career or your success, or your want for pleasure, or the security of your bank account into the center of your life, what happens? Your health, your life, your relationships, they break down, they unravel, they come undone, they move to disorder and chaos. You might say the consequences are always natural, right? When we violate our being, we are unleashing the forces of darkness and chaos. See, if you get that, and you begin, then you will begin to understand the hope and the longing of the prophets. They're so hard to understand when you read the prophets, right? But you, if you understand this, you understand their hope and their longing. Because you remember what Isaiah wrote? He wrote this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. What's the light that Isaiah is talking about there? It's not the sun. It's the effulgent splendor of the divine presence. It's God Himself. I mean, this is the hope that God Himself would come again. Though we've plunged the world into sin, ruin, misery, darkness, and disorder, and He would shine upon His creation again and bring order again. Okay, third, this brings me to the last point. Creation's story shouts of love. With the help of the New Testament, these opening verses, they, they really do tell us something amazing. Okay, they tell us that the God who created the heavens and the earth He has has existed for all eternity in perfect community and love. And this means that love and community are woven into the heart and the fabric of the universe. It's been written into the DNA of everything God has made. He is a God of love, and out of love, He made everything there is. Just look, in the beginning we see... God the Father creating the heavens and the earth, verse 1. But then you get to verse 2, and it tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that word hovering, it's a Hebrew word that's used to describe a mother bird fluttering over her little chicks. 
in loving care and protection. And immediately you begin to see by verse 2, right, the creation story, the Bible story of creation, it's not something impersonal, but something very, very personal and loving is there at the dawn of time. And then as we said, verse 3, it tells us that God created by His Word. You know, there's another place in the Bible that, uh, that begins with the same awesome words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. And it's John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and while, without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, the reason God's Word can create is because God's Word is a person his Son, the light of the world, right? Nothing was created without Jesus. Nothing was ever created without God's Word. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the opening of the Bible, right? Together at the dawn of time, creating everything that there is. This is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, which we will not explain this morning or any other morning, because it is a complete mystery. One God in three persons. I can't explain that to you, but what I can explain to you is this, that this means that God has never, He has never lacked for relationship or community or love, and therefore relationship, community, and love, they are at the very heart of the universe. I mean, here's the picture that I think the Bible really is pointing us to and painting for us. You know what… centrifugal forces, right? It's actually, it's actually not a force. It's, it inertia's the force, right, technically, but we call it centrifugal force. That's the feeling you get or the feeling you got when you were a little kid at the playground and you were spinning each other around on the merry-go-round, and the faster and faster it went around in those circles, you felt like you were going to fly off the thing. It was pulling you out. It was spinning you out, Right? Listen, here's the Bible's picture that it's painting. The three persons of the Trinity, they have been circling one another in perfect love, community, and relationship for all eternity. See, God didn't make everything there is, and He didn't make you because He needed you as beings to love Him. He already had that. The Bible is saying He moved out and He spun out in His love to expand the circle and to bring you into that circle to experience that love. See, love, it is intrinsic to the universe and at the heart of ultimate reality. A world of chance where humanity is a cosmic accident and we're, you know, just a a sequence of chemicals. I mean, nobody's writing songs about chemicals. But we're writing songs and stories about love all the time. Right? It's because, that's because that's what God made us for. Your creation story gives life meaning and purpose. It brings order to chaos. And creation story, it shouts of love. What I'm trying to get you to see is that this story, it is the underlying reality to which every great story is pointing. It's when you know this story that you begin to discover who you are 
and why you are and where you're going. The scholar, um, Dr. John Walton, he wrote something that I found incredibly insightful about these opening verses of Genesis in the Bible. He wrote, Genesis chapter 1 is intended to show you that the world was not always as it is now. That's not incredibly insightful. Um, I think we get that easy enough. But then he wrote this. He wrote, therefore, it is important to understand that hope for the future does not depend on the attempt to achieve something that has never been, but to restore what has been lost. That's the hope. That's the longing we need, the hope that God would come again, that He would arise and shine upon us again. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, even before there was a sun, moon, and stars. From the first chapter of the Bible, now let me take you to the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 3 and 5. 3 through 5. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, whatever that means. And then listen to this. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Listen, how is that hope possible? Because we need that hope, right? How is it possible that the sunshine of His face will come again and shine upon everything that He has made and bring order to the chaos. The real question is probably this more personally. How is it possible when we have turned away and our lives have unraveled in disorder and chaos, how would it be possible that the light would come again and put our lives back together. This is the story of the Bible and of its hero's journey, that Jesus, the Word, the light of the world, He came, and the Creator of all things was nailed to a piece of His own creation, a tree. And the gospel writers all tell us that when He died, Darkness fell on him and the whole land. Your creator is your redeemer. He made you for himself, and he has come to redeem you for himself. And on the cross, your maker was unmade in order to remake you and all the cosmos. He took the curse for you. You know, earlier I mentioned the Hebrew word for create— in Genesis 1.1, it's only ever used when God is the subject, and that's true. And here's another place it's used, and it's in Psalm 51. Create 
in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do you want to find meaning for your life? For order to be brought to the chaos, right? So that your life will sing according to its design, to realize the love you were made for, then the Bible beckons you. Come to Jesus, the light of the world, and ask Him to create in you a clean heart, because He was the Creator that was unmade in order to remake us. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the good news of the gospel, which we can find even in the opening verses of Genesis. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together forming and making all things out of love, bringing order to the chaos, giving life, our lives, meaning and purpose. Father, we pray that this good news of the gospel, that it would find fertile soil in our hearts, and that it would spring up to our hope eternal which is that one day you will come again, one day someday, and your face will shine upon all you have made, and you will have remade all things for your glory and for our good. Father, do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.